0: Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This also is vanity. In verse 8 of this chapter, Solomon has been lamenting how rulers and those in authority often oppress the poor. And in verse 9, he has stated that the king himself is served by the field. So even the great men are dependent upon what the farm labourer brings in from the fields for him. And so this should humble the king and the great man that whatever their earthly preeminence they are dependent like everybody else upon the produce of the field and the God of course who causes the crops to grow. Now here in verse 10 the narrative moves on to that which may often be at the root of oppression by proud and unscrupulous rulers, uh, namely covetousness. And sadly, uh, as we look at history, this has been a characteristic of those with much power. Uh, A good biblical example of such a ruler is King Ahab of Israel, uh, who we are told coveted the vineyard of Naboth, even to the extent he so wanted to get this piece of land that he allowed false charges to be brought against Naboth in order to acquire his property. Uh, And of course Ahab here was... Acting uh, in direct defiance of God's commandments. Exodus 20 verse 17 Thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's house thou shalt not covet thy neighbour's wife nor his manservant nor his maidservant nor his ox nor his ass nor anything that is thy neighbour's. So the 10th commandment uh, deals with the sinful longing to possess that which the providence of God has not provided. Covetousness, of course, must be earnestly avoided by all people, not just by kings and those in high places. Uh, And all with fallen human natures, all with sinful hearts, have a tendency to covetousness. And so Solomon, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says here in this verse 10, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. Uh, and so we're being told that someone who focuses his life on obtaining more of the material will never, in fact, obtain enough of it so as to satisfy his longings, and so it is an ultimate vanity to pursue such things. In other words, the love of money is a lust which can simply never be satisfied. There will never be an increase of goods that will cause the covetous man to be finally contented lusts when given way to uh, and covetousness is a lust of the flesh when they are given way to they make a man a slave. What a vanity, what an utter emptiness it is that so many people preoccupy themselves with the passing things of this world and long after material acquisition which can never truly satisfy. In Luke chapter 12, we read of a man approaching our Lord in order that the Lord might settle a dispute in which he was engaged about his secular and material affairs. And so we read in Luke 12, 13, that the man says to the Lord, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Uh, and so this man is concerned that he, he's not going to receive a, a just proportion of his father's inheritance. Uh, the spirit in which this approach to the Lord was made uh, reveals, however, a preoccupation with his earthly concerns to the detriment of his spiritual condition. The Lord who reads men's hearts perceived this and so we read in Luke 12 and verse 14 he said unto him man who'd made me a judge or a divider over you and he said unto them take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth and so the Lord refuses to be involved in the details of the man's case no matter how just his side of the dispute with his brother might have been because he saw at the root of the man's attitude the problem of a heart too much concerned with this world's affairs and a heart which was neglecting eternal issues. And in that very same passage, uh, our Lord goes on to tell a parable which illustrates to us the dangers of covetousness. Uh, Luke 12 and verse 16 Luke 12:16 the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully and he thought within himself saying what shall i do because i have no room where to bestow my fruits and he said this will i do i will pull down my barns and build greater and there will i bestow all my fruits and my goods And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? And so in that parable, the Lord exposes the futility of living only for the fleeting pleasures which this world can offer and ignoring the God who has given to every man his life in the first place. And it is really tragic in our own day. If someone is just living for the time of life when they can stop working and live in ease and comfort, if that is just the goal of their existence, just living for retirement, living hopefully for an early retirement, then that's tragic. It's very, very sad because that is not how people should be living. Again, in Luke 12, We read this, Luke 12, verse 21. He is a fool that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That's what the Lord said. Each person is called upon to be rich towards God rather than than to acquire riches for himself. We must live to God's glory, not to pursue personal fulfilment. That's not the ultimate goal. Now, true Christians will often have to wrestle with the allurement of material plenty. Uh, and, and especially as we do live in a very prosperous society. Uh, compared to the Britain uh, pre- Second World War, this nation is incredibly prosperous. We live at a level um, which uh, my own grandparents' generation would not have believed possible. And We need to remind ourselves that we are living in a very prosperous society. But that does create problems for the Christian. And another issue is this. Faithful believers, because they are trying to serve God uh, in their everyday life, uh, they will inevitably be hardworking, which is good and right. They will be honest. They will be diligent in their everyday work and God will bless them God in his providence will reward their diligence so it's good to work hard and to make progress and to achieve a measure of material success the Bible is not against that Because the success, the material blessing comes from the hand of God. He rewards the diligence which is carried out in service to him. However, this does create a spiritual problem for the true believer. Because the things of this world have a very alluring nature. And it is possible even for a true believer to be blown off course by the attraction of material things. Now, there is a very interesting historical illustration of this principle. Um, Now, the Great Awakening in the 18th century uh, began in the late 1730s. Uh, when by God's grace, uh, through the early Methodist preachers, uh, many ordinary people were becoming Christians. Now, by as early as 1760, John Wesley was noticing that many of the Methodists were becoming quite wealthy. They They were becoming better off. Precisely because they carried out their secular work to the glory of God, and the Lord blessed them in their diligence. And and employers found that these Christians were good workers, and so they promoted them; they could be relied upon. However, this did create some spiritual problems, and Wesley felt the need to warm the flock. Of the dangers associated with a newly acquired prosperity. Now in his sermon on the use of money, Wesley made the following three concise points. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. So there was a good yardstick for these believers who were faring rather well. And in another sermon entitled The Danger of Riches, Wesley said, Whoever has sufficient food to eat and raiment to put on with a place where to lay his head and something over, something in excess of that, is rich. So whoever has food and clothing and a roof over their head is rich by definition. And so here is a reminder to us to be grateful to our God for how much we already have. That also encourages us, of course, uh, not to becoming, not to become all focused on acquiring more. The Bible's warnings about coveting material plenty and material acquisitions and, and, and gaining more and more. When when the Bible warns about this, it's not teaching that we should abandon all material possessions. We will need to have certain material necessities. What we must do is see the emptiness of this world's riches and not put our trust in them. But our calling as Christians is not suddenly to dispose of all the material things that we possess, but rather to be good stewards before God of that which he has first given to us. As one commentator rightly points out, the evil lies in the love, not the possession of silver. Abraham had an abundance of silver. He was a very wealthy man. But he had that wealth with a heavenly heart. He was focused upon the city which is to come. Now, some might argue, oh, well, it says in Acts 2 verse 44 that the early Christians had all things in common. Well, that was in the context, of course, of their fellowship with one another. They opened their homes to each other. And where necessary, they helped fellow believers in difficulties. And if if a man was thrown out of work for being a Christian, obviously the other believers would come to his aid and take him in and give him the material things which he needed. Uh, But this does not mean that the believers sold everything that they had and engaged in communal living. It does not mean that they immediately went and sold their homes. When we are told in Acts 2 verse 45 that the early Christians sold their possessions, this indicates not that they lived in a commune or pooled and redistributed everything equally, a a, a kind of communist system. It does not indicate that, but what it does indicate is that they used their possessions where needed to help the body generally. In other words, they didn't cling on to their possessions if there was a real need. They were willing to sell them to help Brethren in need. And so this is very valuable guidance for how we should deal with our material resources today. We need a true scriptural balance. And we see this uh, in the book of Proverbs also. Um, uh, Most of it is written by Solomon, of course. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8. Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 8. We read there, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. That which is most fitting, what I need. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. So there are great spiritual dangers in being very poor and in being very rich. The true believer will never make poverty into some kind of virtue and certainly not a virtue whereby he gains favour with God. Rather The believer takes with a grateful hand the condition which God in his providence chooses to bestow upon him. And it is not sinful for someone to try and improve his or her material condition in life. As long as this is done, always subject to God's providence. And not coveting any improvement as being the only source of possible happiness. And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that coveting after the material creates enormous spiritual dangers, even to the extent of wrecking a believer's faith. We are warned of that. That's how powerful the material can be. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity, So, so says this verse 10 here. And the second half of the verse is telling us That the man who keeps on accumulating will never, in fact, reach a point of true satisfaction. Unbridled lust can never be adequately quenched. And this, of course, leads on to a more general point about people's attitude to this world and to all that it has to offer, its glory, its successes, its fame, its honours. Someone who covets the best that this world can give him, perhaps in terms of reputation, must realise that the world always disappoints in the end it can never really provide any ultimate contentment or fulfilment. And this is why John, the Apostle John, warns us about the allurements of this world in his first epistle, Uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, 1 John 2 verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so the word of God is actually teaching us there that one cannot be a true Christian and love the world at the same time. Covetousness and a focus upon what this world has to offer are inextricably linked by John to unbelief and to a rejection of one's Maker. You see, the man without God has nothing but this world, so he has to focus. Upon this world. He's got nowhere else to go. So the man without God. Will almost inevitably. Be materialistic. To some degree. Or world centred. To some degree. How we need. The counsel of God's word. In dealing with these matters. Uh, Psalm 37 verse 16. Psalm 37 Verse 16. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Far better to have a small amount honestly gained than wealth obtained by less honourable means. And that can include sharp practices which might technically be legal but are they honouring to God? Now the prophet Isaiah had to deal with the issue of certain covetous wealthy men in the society of his day because their covetousness adversely affected others. We read in Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 8 Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. And so, as the covetous, wealthy Israelite buys up many fields, the former owners and cottage dwellers have to move on from their little portion. Of the ancestral tribal territory leaving the new owner on his own to survey the expanse of his possessions. Well God will reckon with those who behave in such a way. A far better way is proposed by the Apostle Paul uh, and we We read this earlier uh, as Paul gives Timothy counsel on his work as a minister, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded. You see, the acquiring of wealth can lead to pride and a sense of self-sufficiency. And if you look at post-war Britain, our material level of well-being has gradually risen. There've been some blips here and there, uh, but if you look at a chart of um, material progress since, say, the 1930s, it, it is a, a steadily upward motion. People are much better off. But look at look at the spiritual condition. Of the nation that has accompanied that. As people have become materially better off, um, so they have abandoned trust in God as their provider. You see, in modern Britain, we, we assume uh, that everyone will have all the basic necessities. E- even just having a car has almost become a basic human right. Uh, we assume that everyone will have a fridge and a television and a washing machine and so on. That's the level we've reached. But this enjoyment of material plenty can lead to spiritual disaster. So in 1 Timothy 6 verse 17, Paul says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, to share with others, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And so Paul warns there of the danger of material wealth. He's not saying a Christian should never become wealthy, but he is saying, beware of the dangers and use your wealth in a right manner and do not put your trust in it. Verse 11 here in Ecclesiastes 5. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof? saving the beholding of them with their eyes. Now increased wealth actually usually brings with it its own problems. The rich man invariably acquires a larger household with for example more servants. The household will cost far more to maintain than the previous one. Also as a man's wealth becomes greater so will his worldly concerns become a greater burden to him. He now has more to protect. The more material things which are owned, the greater will be needed the care to look after them. The more workers that a man of business employs, the more problems that will tend to arise within the business. Now when someone heaps up possessions around him they will in fact provide him with little satisfaction other than to feast his eyes upon them. A person for example can only wear one shirt or one coat at any one time. And so it will not be possible to derive real satisfaction from the greater wealth and wealth of course can do nothing to eradicate a man's mortality the rich man is as prone to imminent death as the poor man the rich man like the soul like the rich man like the poor man has a soul And he will very soon have to appear before his maker. And so a person's wealth will not help him on the day of judgment. But having said that, a Christian must not engage in a form of inverted snobbery, going around despising those who are wealthy any more than we should despise those who are poor. Our concern should be the spiritual condition of a man, whatever his material condition might be. Psalm 49, verse 6. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. And so money, no matter how much of it is used, can do nothing to redeem another man's soul. And so a man might give away a fortune, but it won't do anything to save the soul of his friend, let alone his own soul. Let us consider someone of very limited means, who has to live modestly and who has various financial difficulties. But suddenly he then meets with advancement in his career. He starts having far more money at his disposal. It is not unknown for such an individual actually to enjoy no real lasting benefit from that advancement and no removal of his financial anxieties. Because he buys a larger property, he increases his standard of living to such an extent that he just gives himself a fresh set of financial obligations, which he continues to struggle to meet. In other words, his love of the things of this world has caused him to overstretch himself so that he never enjoys true peace of mind and security, despite his recent advancement. Scripture makes it plain that the benefits which accrue from wealth are in any case fading and short-lived. The Bible is not against having wealth. It can be used to wonderful effect to the glory of God. Abraham was a wealthy man. Job was a wealthy man. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man. And look what honour was placed upon him in providing the tomb for our Lord. But no one must live for their wealth. That's the, the important truth to focus upon. No one must trust in their wealth. No one must make an idol of their wealth. You see, wealth can do nothing to alter a man's condition with God. And so the Lord Jesus Christ warns us. Mark 8 verse 36. What shall it profit a man If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. See, the problem with wealth is that it blinds men to spiritual realities. The most important thing is our immortal souls. Where are we going to spend eternity? That's the priority. What's our relationship to God? Are our sins forgiven? That's the absolute priority of life. But material wealth does have this alluring tendency to draw people away from God. And even Christians can fall into this trap. It also has a tendency to tempt men into dishonesty in order to gain it. I mean, why is there crime? Why do people steal? It is because of the allurement of easy wealth. If a person today has an opportunity of acquiring a possession or some extra money but by dubious means he should run away from it like the plague because money is enticing it has a power over man the health of our souls is infinitely more precious than any imagined earthly advantage And the temptations are there, just to succumb to the temptation, perhaps filling in an application form for a a job which is a promotion. The temptation not to be fully truthful so that one can obtain the promotion. And even believers can feel this temptation. The temptation not to disclose necessary information on one's tax return. Well, they won't know about that. I was paid in cash, they won't know. I won't put it down. And people openly admit to this. They openly admit to it. Not to the tax man, but to others. And so again, we see how the attitude to wealth is very much linked to a person's spiritual condition. And we must never give such temptations a moment's space. And in any case, no true believer could ever enjoy the advantage which comes by having used such dubious means. No true believer, if he got the promotion, would be happy if he knew that he had told that untruth on his application form. The Lord Jesus Christ said this in the Sermon on the Mount, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And that is the crux of the matter. Where is a person's treasure? What do they really value above all else? Is it the things of this world, or is it being faithful to God and so we are being taught here that the lust for material gain can never be satisfied we are being taught that there is no lasting profit in living for the things of this world yes we must use wisely and enjoy the material things Which God has given to us. They're a wonderful blessing, and we must constantly be thanking Him for them. But we must keep the material firmly in its place. Because the Bible teaches us that the love of money can wreck a person's faith in God. And so let us remember the words of our Lord. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Amen.